Happy Sabbath. Good afternoon. I want to have prayer and then um, share with you a few things and then get into uh, some, some Bible study. So if you would, please, let's bow our heads for a brief prayer here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Sabbath. We thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this opportunity to gather here together as fellow believers and to open thy word. Lord, we feel our complete dependence upon thee today, and so we pray that the Holy Spirit will be here, that he will come through generously by his own presence and be our teacher and our guide, that he will as do, as the Bible said, convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Lord, I pray that we will be ready for thy soon coming. Please help me, Father. Thou dost know my weakness, and I'm praying for thy help. And I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the most amazing promises in the Bible is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Amen. Divine means God whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This text alone should totally resurrect our enthusiasm to open the Bible and to read its promises and to claim them for ourselves. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. It's the power of God in those verses. Let me give you a couple of verses besides some following in our study this morning. And uh, when Paul wrote to Timothy in his uh, first epistle, chapter 1, he said, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. When Paul wrote his final epistle to Timothy in Second Timothy uh, uh, chapter 1 and verse 12. He wrote this. Here's another one to make note of. Second Timothy 1.12, he says, For I know him, I know him, of whom I have believed. I know him. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know him of whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Triumph in those verses, isn't there? Tremendous triumph and promise. I'd like to talk to you today about Jesus Christ as creator and redeemer. That's the basic theme of our subject. Um, and um, we will be looking at some various verses uh, and things in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy today. 
Brothers and sisters, I have a little compilation. I don't have it in hand with me. I might have it in my case, but it's some compilation of statements that talk about as we draw near to the end of time. We are definitely drawing near to the end of time, um, and we will talk a little bit about that this morning. But as we draw near to the end of time, there's going to be a number of things going on. Let me tell you one of these, and this is on a personal level, and this is where we must uh, be on our guard. We are told as we draw near the end of time that Satan's temptation to indulge appetite will become more powerful. We are told as we draw near the end of time, Satan's temptation to indulge appetite will become more powerful and more difficult to overcome. By the way, as we draw near to the end of time, there is going to, we are also told that we will either rapidly advance in our Christian experience or rapidly retrograde back towards the world. I believe that we are now at that dividing point. We are rapidly approaching the end of time. And by the grace of God, this is why you must have the right information. But brothers and sisters, if we are not living the health message, this is going to put a huge restraint on our mental clarity and our spiritual advancement. We've got to experiment with self-discipline. We've got to do the best we can to present our bodies, as Paul said, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. So the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Ron just said it. Thank you, Ron. So, and Jesus does not have any graduating classes. He will be improving his people forever. But in this world, he's delivering them from sin. So there's no graduating classes in the next world. Um, I pray for uh, two or three people in this church and, and the church as a whole every day because there's quite a few people I pray for. And I want you to know that you are in my prayers. Uh, I would also ask that you would be in my prayers um, as I'm just like you, the devil attacks me. And um, I was recently uh, contacted by a new Adventist satellite broadcast to uh, do some, to go preach for them for three days and preach about nine sermons. So I got quite a little bit to think about in the next few weeks. And I ask that you'll pray that the Lord will bless that. I'm just a human being. So uh, um, I want to thank you for the work that you did at the fair. Praise God for that. I was able to be there and help just a little bit. I really want to thank you for that. But the fair is not the only place you share. You share wherever you can. There's a lady at the Hill Church in Mount Vernon, and once a month they have a a, a city uh, event where on a Friday night people come and mingle and go around to different places. just kind of like the fair, only it's just temporary, and they block off the square. And, and um, I've helped her a couple times this summer. And uh, the last time I was with her, just a few weeks ago, um, had a lot of good experiences, but I'll tell you one. A gentleman came up to me near the end of our time, and uh, I, when people would walk by, I'd say, ma'am, here's a gift, or sir, here's a gift, and I'd try and draw them in and give it to them. And Lord helped me get, give out about 60 books in a couple hours. But one man came up near the end, and he said, uh, he said so who are you with? I said, well, we're Seventh-day Adventists. He said, well, why are you part of organized religion? He said, organized religion just has an agenda. I said, well, we definitely have an agenda. We're trying to help people get to heaven. So we we had quite a dialogue back and forth, and uh, he was pretty skeptical. I tried to give him the book. He kept resisting me, and I tried repeatedly, and he kept resisting me repeatedly. And then he asked me, he said, well, he said, do you believe it's possible to overcome all sin? I said, yes, absolutely. And I gave him some Bible verses, and we talked about that a little bit. I tried to give him the book. He wouldn't take the book. 
So he admitted even during the conversation he hobnobs at the moment around with Mormons, but anyway, he's skeptical of organized religion. Then he finally said to me in the conversation, he said, do you believe once saved, always saved? I said, no, that's absolutely against what the Bible has to say. He said, okay, he said, I'll take the book. That was kind of fun. Get some opposition, then the Lord breaks it down, you know. So, uh, you know, in the book Acts of the Apostles, I believe it's page 64, it quotes the text in Matthew, it's probably from Matthew 17, where it says, Jesus only, and then after quoting that text in the book Acts of the Apostles, it says, this, Jesus only, and then it says, this is was the secret of power in the early church. Jesus only. That was the secret of power. And she goes on and elaborates quite a little bit in there. And brothers and sisters, there is no greater name in heaven or in earth. Uh, there is no greater name. He has no superiors. None. He has an equal, but he has no superiors. There is no greater name than the name of Jesus. Now, we're told in the spirit of prophecy that Revelation 14 is going to be understood in, in all of its bearings as we get near to the end of time. And when you when you look at the three angels' messages and the first angel's message, it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him. That made heaven and earth. So the gospel is being proclaimed in the last days under the proclamation of the first angel's message. The gospel that is the power of Christ to save and also the fact that we are to worship him as the creator of the universe. The voice, oh, excuse me, the, the verse that uh, Anthony read, uh, is it Anthony? Anton. Okay, Anton. Uh, Psalms chapter 33, verses 8 and 9. It says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. We, as believers in Christ, keep the seventh day for many mighty reasons that are eternal. The seventh day Sabbath is an eternal truth. It will always be kept by the universe and the redeemed, and it will be the sign of loyalty to our creator at the end of time. How many of you have read the book Early Writings and read the statement that says that it's going to take one week for God's people to get to the holy city? Have you read that? Did your mouth drop when you read that, or did you just read on? Huh? I want you to think about something. And first, let's do a little bit of math, and then we're going to just try and analyze this statement just a little bit. That's all we can do. We can try and analyze it because we cannot fully penetrate into the statement. But it says it will take seven days for God's people to go to the New Jerusalem from this, from this earth. Seven days. Now, let me ask you this. 
If you travel at one mile per hour for 20 hours, how far are you going to go? Huh? One mile an hour for 20 hours, how far are you going to go? 20 miles, okay? If you travel at 60 miles an hour for 20 minutes, how far are you going to go? 20 miles. So instead of going 20 miles in 20 hours, you can go 20 miles in 20 minutes, right? Just speed up, right? How many of you have a, how many of you know where heaven is? Third heaven, yeah, third heaven. Let me give you some suggestions here based upon the Bible, mainly the spirit of prophecy. But it's very probable that heaven is just beyond Orion somewhere. Let me tell you why. I want to read you, read you a statement here. Um, this is talking about the end of time before when, uh, just about when Christ comes back. It says the powers of heaven will be shaken at the voice of God. The sun, moon, and stars will be moved out of their places. They will not pass away, but be shaken by the voice of God. Dark, heavy clouds came up and clashed against each other. Now listen to the statement very carefully. Early writings, page 41. The atmosphere parted, parted, and rolled back. Then we could look up through the open space in Orion. Whence came the voice of God. The, then it goes on and says, the holy city will come down through that open space. So I believe it's fair enough to conclude. We don't know the distance beyond, but heaven where God dwells, that planet where God dwells, Jesus said it's a world, that world and this world, he said it's a world, that planet or that place where God's throne is, is somewhere beyond Orion. It may not be much far beyond Orion, but it's somewhere beyond Orion. And my personal speculation is that it's probably in our galaxy, which is the Milky Way. And by the way, um, how many of you know how fast the speed of light is? 186,000 miles per second. Exactly. Yep, that's exactly. 186,000 miles per second. So just imagine if you travel at that speed, you will circulate around this globe how many times in one second? Seven times. Okay? So get your mind on this. You would circulate around this globe seven times in one second if you're traveling at the speed of light. Okay? By the way, before I go on my comments, I just want to mention to you something here. Um, Paul talks about the wisdom of the world in the book of 1 Corinthians, and he says this. He says, The wisdom of this world, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Interesting statement. So if you travel at the speed of light, you're going around the earth about seven times in one second. This gives you an idea of the speed of light. Now, with modern technology, they tell us that Orion is anywhere from 1,344 to 1,360 light years away. In other words, if you travel at, at the average pace of seven times around this world in one second, you travel at that speed for 1,360 years, you would get to Orion. By the way, once you get to the Orion, opening of Orion, the opening of Orion is 12 light years across. 
at the speed of light, it would take you 12 years to travel across that at the speed of light. Okay. So heaven is somewhere just beyond there. Okay. Now let's think a little bit about the statement in early writings that says God's people will get to the holy city. And I'm only basing these calculations on the distance. How beyond, far beyond Orion is, I don't know. But I'm going to read this statement to you again from early writings. I want you to observe something here. It says, the atmosphere parted and rolled back. Then we could look up through the open space and Orion, whence came the voice of God. Now, from what I understand, there is some kind of a covering in Orion's uh, nebula opening that they can only penetrate so far, and their ability to penetrate beyond that uh, uh, telescopically, visually, is prevented. Now, did you know that in the book of Job, chapter uh, 26, verse 9, it says that God actually covers his throne with a cloud? It's as if to hide from this sinful world the, the blazing glory of his throne, there is a cloud that covers uh, that glory from... But there's going to come a day when it's going to be parted back. Okay, But if you take 1,360 light years and you travel that in one week, think about it. So in 1,360 years, you would have 70,720 weeks. So that's the short way to get to it. So in other, wor- in other words, in traveling to heaven, God's people will be traveling at at least 70,720 times the speed of light to get to heaven. Isn't that beyond the yeah it is it's 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 beyond the mind. So if you have a thousand thousand, you have a million, right? If you have a thousand million, you have a billion. If you have a thousand billion, you have a trillion. If you have a thousand trillion, you have a uh, a quadrillion. And if you have a thousand quadrillion, you have um, what is it? Uh, I I know what it is. It just slips my mind from the anyway. It goes all so you have a tremendous amount. So. Anyway, so I did a little bit of math, and I took the number of seconds in a week, and I took the number of weeks in 1,360 years, and I took the number, the, the amount of distance you would travel in one second, and I came up with you would have the distance from here to, to Orion is 7 quadrillion, 955 uh, billion, 490, uh, no, 955 trillion, 490 billion, 816 million miles away. Okay. So I did a little bit more calculation, and I figured this. Okay? Our sun is 93 million miles away from here. And at the speed God's people will be traveling, if you would multiply the distance from here to the sun 141 times, you would travel that speed in one second. It's beyond the mind, isn't it? It's beyond the mind. I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Brothers and sisters, that place, that eternal place, is totally worth being ready for when Jesus comes. May, may God help us to be ready for that time. You know, there's uh, a lot of things that I uh, like to 
read, the main thing I like to read is what's inspired. I'm going to read you something now that's not inspired, but it's very inspiring and is very good. I'm going to take a wild guess. It might have been written by Herbert Douglas, but I don't know for sure. I want to read you this. It seems eminently fitting that God's remnant church should be time's noblest offspring. It seems eminently fitting that God's remnant church should be time's noblest offspring. On them shines the light of all past ages. They have inherited not only the weaknesses of past generations, but also the accumulated biblical knowledge of the ages. To them has come light on scripture, such as has been given to no other people. They have light on the sanctuary. They have the more sure word of prophecy. To them have been entrusted the oracles of God. They understand the work that Christ is now doing in the courts above. They have been given the inestimable privilege of heralding to the world that the hour of God's judgment has come and that the end of all things is at hand. What manner of men ought they to be in all holy conversation and godliness? I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about the Holy Spirit. Before I do, I want to read you another statement. Listen to this. Oh, by the way, our Milky Way is 100,000 light years across. And it contains about 2 billion stars. Our Milky Way. That's one galaxy. One galaxy galaxy. They estimate that there's easily 200 billion galaxies in the universe that average anywhere from 1,500 to 300,000 light years across. Our closest neighbor, neighbor, the major neighbor, it's not the closest neighbor, but it's our closest major neighbor of galaxy is called Andromeda, and it's 2.57 million light years away. Listen to this. Christ's Object Lessons, page 176. He who dwells in the sanctuary judges righteously. His pleasure is more in his people. Struggling with temptation in a world of sin than in the host of angels that surround his throne. How can it be that thou, my gods, should die for me? How can it be? His pleasure is more with his people struggling with temptation in a world of sin than in the host of angels that surround his throne. In this speck of a world, the whole heavenly universe manifests the greatest interest for Christ has paid an infinite price For the souls of its inhabitants. 
You know, we are told that when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to buy his own hand, and there's going to be hundreds of millions collectively saved from the ages of this earth's history. But by his own hand, he will place the crown of victory on every head. Do not disappoint him and be absent on that day. Do not. You know, we're told in the book Great Controversy that when this great controversy is all over and, and Christ and Satan have, as it were, their final confrontation and the Lord even then cannot refrain his loss, expressing his loss at those who were lost, and he says to the devil, he says, why have you rebelled against me and robbed me of the subjects of my kingdom? In the book, Acts of the Apostles, I want to read you a statement about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm reading the book now through, and this chapter got my interest so much. I read it several times, and I want to read to you a statement here about the Holy Spirit. Acts of the Apostles, page 51. The Spirit furnishes the strength, the Spirit furnishes the strength that sustains striving Wrestling souls in every emergency. Amidst the hatred of the world and the realization of their own failures and mistakes, in sorrow and affliction, when the outlook seems dark and the future perplexing, and we feel helpless and alone. These are the times when in answer to the prayer of faith, the Holy Spirit brings comfort to the heart. The Spirit furnishes the strength that sustains striving, wrestling souls in every emergency amidst the hatred of the world and the realization of their own failures and mistakes in sorrow and affliction, when the outlook seems dark and the future perplexing and we feel helpless and alone, these are the times when in answer to the prayer of faith, the Holy Spirit brings comfort to the heart. Did you know that Ellen White prayed to all three persons of the Godhead? Do you want me to read you the statement? Let me read you the statement. Seven Manuscript, uh, release, page 267. Some length to this, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Here's where the work of the Holy Ghost comes in after your baptism. You are baptized in in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. You are raised up out of the water to live henceforth a newness of life, to live a new life. You are born unto God, and you stand under the sanction and the power of the three holiest beings in heaven who are able to keep you from falling. You are to reveal that you are dead to sin. Your life is hid with Christ and God. Hidden with Christ and God. Wonderful transformation. This is a most precious promise. When I feel oppressed, 
and hardly know how to relate myself toward the work that God has given me to do. I just call upon the three great worthies and say, You know I cannot do this work in my own strength. You must work in me and by me and through me, sanctifying my tongue, sanctifying my spirit, sanctifying my words, and bringing me into a position where my spirit shall be susceptible to the movings of the Holy Spirit of God upon my mind and character. She calls them the three holiest beings and the three great worthies, capitalized. And then the quote, what I've taken of it, finishes with this. And this is the prayer that every one of us may offer. Interesting. There are those today who are trying to deny the presence of the Holy Spirit. The fact of his existence. Brothers and sisters, we were born on a battlefield. We are on on a planet where there is a great controversy. The Lord has quarantined that insane being, Satan, on this planet. And he's allowing him to work out his insane claims. And he is going to be proven to be false. But in the meantime... The outcome is souls are either saved or souls are lost. We are on a real battlefield. Let me read you a statement here from First Selected Messages, page 158. Over every man, by the way, this is obvious, it means every single person. Over every man, good and evil angels strive. It is the man himself who determines which shall win. Over every man, good and evil angels strive. It is the person who determines who shall win. Power of choice. Choose Christ. Depend upon Christ. Follow Christ. Refuse the evil. Refuse the working of evil angels. Don't let them speak through you. You know, when Peter one time... He thought the Lord needed some correction. And the Lord said, you know what? I'm going to go and be crucified one of these days. And Peter pulled him off from the side of the disciples. And he said, Lord, be it far from thee. Yeah, that isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter's tongue was at that moment moved by the spirit of the devil. And you know, when you read in the book of Galatians, or not Galatians, but in the book of James, uh, he says the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. And then one of the things he says of the tongue, he says, it is set on fire of hell. We must be careful to refrain our speech from unchristian speech, lest we succumb to the control of evil angels. They are battling over our souls, and they are trying to get us to sin. You know, brothers and sisters, we're living near the end. I'm not going to tell you who, where, when this happened, but I was preaching in a church one place. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't plan everything I say. And uh, I happened to uh, speak in that service about um, adultery, purity, and, you know, that kind of thing. Lord gave it to me pretty straight. And later on, I learned that sitting in that very congregation was a man who had recently asked his wife for a divorce. You know, brothers and sisters, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you're thinking in that track of line, you are totally out of touch spiritually. How in the world do you think you're going to be ready for the second coming of Christ and for the judgment if you're indulging in those kinds of thoughts, covetousness, discontent, whatever else it may be? Brothers and sisters, we are to be getting ready for heaven, not indulging in the sinful lusts of the flesh. 
We must overcome appetite. We must overcome passion. We must overcome the temptation to covetousness, impurity, whatever it is, and Christ will give us the power. The weapons of our warfare, 2 Corinthians 10, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Jesus can do it. Yeah, we're going to all be bombarded with temptation. That doesn't mean you let it stay there. I don't know if any of you are on the mailing list for um, Keep the Faith, how Mary does the presentations. The gentleman who used to do those, he's passed on now. His name was Lawrence Nelson. He tells a story of was either of his, I think it was his father, not his grandfather. But he tells a story of his father who was quite addicted to drinking. And um, he was in a struggle with it, and he rode public trans- transport home. And he happened to get off near a place where there was a, a, a pub, you know, a place where you can drink. And he was convicted he shouldn't go in. But anyway, he went to this one place and he walked in and the Lord opened his eyes. He said when he walked in this salon, saloon, he said he saw suspended above about a dozen men there at the bar an evil angel. And he saw the evil angel actively controlling those men as they were drinking. The Lord opened his eyes. He saw the unseen world. And he got out of there. There's an unseen world. And we need the care of the angels. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to call on God the Father. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of points that we need to be looking at. And I can't cover them all, and I'm not going to try and cover them all today. But we need to be faithful in our Bible study, our prayer. Yes, we got to live life. i got to live life. i got a family. I'm just like you. I've got life to live. But we cannot allow, allow the tyranny of the urgent to squeeze out what's important. There are things that are important. There are things that are urgent. And what's important is living for Christ and getting ready for heaven. The things of this world are merely urgent. Okay? But we have got to focus on what's important. Don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect Bible study. Don't neglect health reform. Whatever else it is, keep at it. Don't give up. But the great final test at the end is going to be what? The Sabbath. That's going to be it. The angel told Ellen White in the book Early Writings, he says God's people will be brought into close combat with a beast in his image. And they must remain steadfast. God's going to help his people through that time. You know, the Bible says the weak will be as David and the house of David is the angel of the Lord. The Lord will strengthen his people, but we must depend upon him and allow him to strengthen us. Um, Doug Batchelor recently came out with a brief video talking about the Pope's appeal for all the world leaders to come together next May 14. And they're going to do this whole thing of educating the youth and we got to get on board for the environment and he referred to his 2015 encyclical letter, which is also called Calling for Sunday Keeping. Brothers and sisters, everything that Seventh-day Adventists have been preaching for over 100 years is coming to pass right before our very eyes. It's right on the roll. You know, the other, the other night when I was at home, I uh, was awake, which happens quite a bit at night. So I got on the YouTube, and I looked a little bit at... Um, The destruction that just recently occurred in the Bahamas. I don't know if anybody saw that, but it's, it's, there are some places, you know, footage taken by a drone where the decimation was absolute. It's horrifying. And as I'm looking at that, 
I'm thinking, you know what? This is the working and the expression of a satanic mind. Now, there's quite a few things that point up to the fact that we're nearing closing uh, Sunday law. We're closing in on Sunday laws, and we are nearing the end of time. But let me, in the context of all the things that are going on, let me read to you just a little bit out of the book Great Controversy. By the way, I'm going to read you a couple quotes here. Book Great Controversy. The one quote I want to read to you is this. This is the introduction to the book. Listen to this. We need to get this book out and read it and study it. No man knoweth anything yet as he ought to know it. Great Controversy, chap, uh, page 10 in the introduction. Listen to this. Through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the scenes of the long-continued conflict between good and evil have been opened to the writer of these pages. This is a very clear statement from Ellen White. She's saying, I'm inspired by God. The Spirit of God has given me this information. And brothers and sisters, this information was given over 100 years ago, and the accuracy of it is phenomenal and how it's unfolded to our understanding over the years. Through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the scenes of the long-continued conflict between good and evil have been opened to the writer of these pages. From time to time, I have been permitted to behold the working in different ages of the great controversy between Christ, the Prince of Life, the author of our salvation, and Satan, the Prince of Evil. It's very interesting, but I'm not going to take time to read it here. But I want to go over now to page 589 and 590 in the context of the calamities that are occurring in our world. Listen to this. Satan works through the elements also to gather his harvest of unprepared souls. He has studied the secrets of the laboratories of nature, and he uses all his power to control the elements as far as God allows. While appearing to the children of men, I'm skipping now, uh, page 589, while appearing to the children of men as a great physician who can heal all their maladies, he will bring disease and disaster until populous cities are reduced to ruin and desolation. He will bring disease and disaster until populous cities are reduced to ruin and desolation. Even now he is at work. In accidents and calamities by sea and by land, in great conflagrations, in fierce tornadoes, in terrific hailstorms, in tempests, floods, cyclones, tidal waves, earthquakes, in every place and in a thousand forms, Satan is exercising his power. He sweeps away the ripening harvest, and famine and distress follow. He imparts to the air a deadly taint, and thousands perish by the pestilence. These visitations are to become more and more frequent and disastrous. That's why, as far as possible, we need to consider country living. They're to become more and more frequent and disastrous, page 590. And then, now listen to this. Here it comes right down to what he's going after. And you can see the Pope is right in line with Satan's agenda. And then the great deceiver will persuade men that those who serve God are causing these evils. The class that have provoked the displeasure of heaven will charge all their troubles upon those whose obedience to God's commandments is a perpetual reproof to transgressors. It will be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath, that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced. And those who present the claims of the fourth commandment, that's us. Thus destroying reverence for Sunday, that's us. Our troublers of the people, 
preventing their restoration to divine favor and temporal prosperity. So when we see things like this in the news, we know that we are marching right toward the final climax when Jesus is going to take us out of this world. I think it's wonderful. But we got to get ready and do everything that we can to get ready for that time. By the way, let me make a comment or two here about the Sabbath. I recently uh, came across a gentleman who uh, got a great controversy from me. We talked. He found out I was a Seventh-day Adventist. He said he was an editor for a publishing company. He said, we have had a manuscript submitted to us recently that is examining uh, the Sabbath subject. And he said, I would like for you to uh, critique the book. He said, I'll send you a copy of the manuscript and you can look over the book. So I said, yeah, sure, I'd be glad to. He knew I was an Adventist. Well, the book he sent to me obviously was promoting Sunday keeping. Okay, It was quite a few hundred pages. I didn't bother reading it all. I took some time with it. But it was, um, anyway, I'm not going to be unkind, but I did give the man some responses back. Trying to promote Sunday keeping from the Bible, okay? Here's what I, one of the things I said to the man as I wrote back to him. I said, look, I said, here's one of the problems with Sunday keepers. I said, there is a class of Sunday keepers who as this book attempts to do, try to claim that Sunday is in the New Testament and that it's required by the Bible, and they're adamantly trying to prove that it's of the Bible because of their misinterpretation of the Bible. And then you have another group of Sunday keepers who who keep Sunday, but they adamantly claim that it is not biblical and it is not in the Bible. And this is evidence that Sunday keeping is part of the confusion of the religions of the world today. One class is saying it's biblical. Another class who is also keeping it is saying it's not biblical. Let me read you a statement, if I can find it in all my things here. From This is one statement. I'll read you another one. This is a, a quote right from the Catholic Church. Most Christians assume that Sunday is the biblically approved day of worship. The Roman Catholic Church protests that it transferred Christian worship from the biblical Sabbath Saturday to Sunday, and that to try to argue that the change was made in the Bible is both dishonest and a denial of the Catholic authority. If Protestantism wants to base its teachings only on the Bible, it should worship on Saturday. Okay? I have another quote here in this book uh, called Facts of Faith. This is from a Baptist manual written by a Baptist minister, Edward Hiscox, and he says this. There was and is a commandment to keep holy the Sabbath day, but that Sabbath day was not Sunday. It will be said, however, and with some show of triumph, that the Sabbath was transferred from the seventh to the first day of the week with all its duties, privileges, and sanctions. Earnestly desiring information on this subject, which I have studied for many years, I ask, where can the record of such a transaction be found? Not in the New Testament, absolutely not. There is no scriptural evidence of the change of the Sabbath institution from the seventh to the first day of the week. So, Babylon, we don't follow Babylon. We follow the word of God, okay? Look, the issue over the Sabbath question is obviously very important. Obviously, it's very important to us. To forever, we're going to be keeping the Sabbath forever because one of the glories of our God is that He's the Creator and He's all this Almighty God. So, this God who created the entire universe decided that you were so important 
that he came to this earth in human flesh and he died for our sins. Because of that, shouldn't we love him? And because of that, shouldn't we hate sin and depend upon him to overcome it? You know, there was a Roman governor, uh, and I've got this quote here. It's supposed to be officially on the records of the Romans. But his name was uh, Publius Lentulus, and he wrote a description of Christ. He described Christ in his eyes, his hair, his manners, his speech. Quite a detailed description. It's about two paragraphs long. HMS Richard Sr. had it in his Bible study helps and one Bible that was put out evidently by him. But as this Roman governor begins his description of Christ, he says this, there lives at this time a man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom the barbarians esteem as a prophet. But his followers love and adore him as the offspring of the eternal God. I would encourage you with the thought that Christianity is not only an eternal saving truth, it is love for a person. It's an incomprehensible love. We should hold to Christ. We should love the Bible. We should love the spirit of prophecy. And we should seek to bring our lives into harmony with his word. Let me uh, end by these two verses that I started with in the beginning. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. And then 2 Timothy 1.12. I know him of whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. May the Lord bless you. Please, if anybody here has not made your entire surrender to Christ, do so now. Do not leave the sanctuary without it. If you have sins in your life, give them to Christ. Come to Christ like you are. Ask him to give you repentance. Put it away. Do not trifle with with eternity. Be totally dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater purpose, no greater aspiration, and we are on the very verge of his coming. May God bless you. Thank you, Brother Ken, for that message. At this time, we're going to have our closing hymn, which is Near the Cross, page 312. Near the Cross, page 312. And if you would please stand when you find it. 312.
Let's all kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, our hearts are filled with praise that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. We thank you that Jesus tasted death for every man, that he took our guilt and he said, I love them so much I will risk my own existence to pay for their sins. I pray, Father, for each one here that it will be their resolve to follow the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what the path, knowing that heaven will be cheap enough. Forgive us where we have failed. Give us grace to overcome. And as your word has said, out of weakness they were made strong. They waxed valiant in fight. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and they overcame Bless my brothers and sisters here, and I pray that your love will abide and continue to grow and mature in all of our hearts, that we will be representatives of Christ in this world and be ready for his soon coming. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.